So I think that because I've been around on Earth for a long time, our my group, and we've been coming and assisting for a long time, I think it was just kind of a natural uh, transition and, and natural choice. Well, I know Jean-Charles Moyen described something similar, that because of his prior lives as an extraterrestrial, that he was age-progressed at four because there was a need for him. And then, then they reversed him back to two, oh, sorry, to four years old. And that was around the same time as well as you. Now, what makes this plausible, and I, I can't pretend to say I understand the principles behind age progression or age regression, is that I know William Tompkins, who I worked with for uh, several years, he was working for this company, TRW, that from 1967 to 1971, it developed age regression technology. So it would not surprise me that they were similarly working with age progression. And that kind of fits in with your timetable too, that you said you underwent this in 1970. So that's right around the time Bill Tompkins said TRW was working on this age regression technology. So I don't know if you know anything about that. I, that's the first I've heard of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. All right. So, you know, there, there is... Um, there is a basis for understanding how age progression and age regression can be developed and used. So in your case, how how was it actually put in process? I mean, how were you as a two-year-old age progressed to a 25-year-old body? I mean, what, what happened? Well, uh, it's kind of a horrific scenario, but I will explain. It's... Uh... Um, basically, you're, I was taken and placed into like an acrylic tube is the best thing I can, you know, describe it as. And it, within that tube um, was this like this purplish pinkish gel. And uh, from what I recall now that that gel is like a bio gel, which is made up of um, some material uh, retrieved from another race, uh, off planet race. Uh, from quite a distance away, and it's an extremely expensive um, gel. But what they can do is they can replicate that gel, you know, allow it to grow sort of like laboratory, you know, they can grow it, and they can extract your DNA and place within the gel. So it's like, a, I guess the, the easiest way to describe it would be a gel made up of like T-cells. <clears throat> and then they add your DNA to that, and then it can, you can advance growth in this way. Um, and they, they, you don't just, you're basically drowned in it. You know, I remember the process of being drowned within this gel. Um, and then they in, in injected like large needles within my body uh, into some of my bones and into my internal organs so that that gel could be injected so that basically I grow evenly both outside and inside. And uh, then that uh, lasted for a few weeks is the best I can remember until they would transfer me once into a larger tank after a few days. Um, and then um, the, I did see a movie a while, while back, I think it was called um, uh, Wolverine Origins or something where they did something really, really similar. And I was kind of shocked to see it, but uh, it was a very interesting and similar process to that in that film. Right. Okay. So this 
purple gel. Uh, you don't know what it was. I mean, could it have, um, I mean, it was an extraterrestrial compound. Was it, did it have kind of nanotechnology in it, anything like that? Uh, what, what do you know of it? The, the most I know of it is that it's, it's uh, organically based with a technology base combined. So it would have to be nano because it's gelatinous, right? It's like a thick water. Uh, and then when your DNA is added to it, it grows within that as well. And so it's like, so that gel, they can keep it. Um, and then it's always locked into your you know, DNA. So uh, it's a really expensive process for them. Um, and they can grow clones in other tanks that isn't quite the same process that costs a lot less, but with certain people, for some reason, rather than extracting your consciousness and memories out of a two-year-old and putting it into a 25-year-old clone they've created, um, it's more stable if they grow the body and the memory and consciousness remain attack intact throughout that process. There's always a possibility of losing the consciousness and, and the memories when they're extracted. So, you know, they did that with some people, but not with everyone. Well, I know uh, Tony Rodriguez, who's also <laughs> going to be part of the Galactic Spiritual Informers Conference you know, from October 21st to 23rd. Uh, Tony's going to be there. And uh, he described how he his consciousness was taken uh, when he was uh, 10 years old. He was brought into the programs and his gray extraterrestrials took his consciousness out and transferred it into a cloned body. And then that's how he went and did his 20 and back. Now, in your case, as you described, uh, they didn't transfer your consciousness into a clone body. They decided that they would actually age progress you to 25 because, as you say, this is a more stable foundation to retain the, the consciousness and the memories that they needed because yeah. you had skills or memories that they needed. And if they transferred your consciousness, maybe some of those memories could have been lost or even the consciousness could have been impaired in some way. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So your, your DNA, your consciousness, memories are all transposed from a two-year-old body into a 25-year-old body. So now, I mean, uh, how would that work? I mean, you as a two-year-old, I mean, you're, <laughs> you know, you're just developing rudimentary language. Yeah. So does, does the consciousness of a prior life take over? I mean, is that what happens? Yes, uh, because all of that's within your DNA. And once they unlock that, all of that comes back. You know, all of the memories, your consciousness of who you are, your, your reason for being there, whatever, everything you've ever experienced your whole entire life up to that point comes right back. I see. So as a, as a two-year-old, Chris O'Connor obviously didn't have many memories of no. Of, of much at all so the the memories of the prior life and you know the, that extraterrestrial life just essentially took over that 25 year old body and was now working for the air force or the navy so that would actually make sense why why the navy or why the air force would say okay we want to get this this little you know we want to get the consciousness inside this two-year-old 
human baby because we know it's an extraterrestrial soul that's incarnated and and we need that person with all his skills and the memories and and actually age progression actually that makes sense now or well, why they would do that yeah exactly yeah okay so now in terms of your memories in the secret space program um, you've, you've described having served in several 20 and backs so now with the very first 20 and back um you know where where like where did you go i mean where your, your age progressed, you're now in a 25-year-old body, you've got the consciousness of an ET, the Air Force or the Navy says, you know, sign here and we're going to send you over there. So what did what do you recall about signing and what do you recall about being sent off to serve in a program? Uh, interestingly, I don't, I don't recall signing anything the first 20 years because my contract was basically signed before I incarnated. So that just carried over. Um, I did sign it twice after that, and that I, I do have some memories of. Uh, but for the first 20 years, I, I, uh, basically what I was meant to do was be a liaison or like an ambassadorial type of position when negotiating with other races. Uh, and, and so the reason for me to do that was because most of the time these other races knew that I was another, I wasn't human based, but I was working with and through them. So there was a, more, a greater trust factor. Um, and also because I worked on a telepathic level, whether that was you know, a direct telepathic um, conversation or if it was just through emotion or, or visuals that would, be, that would be sent or that I could connect and you know, speak to somebody on. And I would sit uh, in, in meetings uh, with these uh, races because they were always negotiating contracts, working with other races on other planets. Sometimes we'd have to go and repair damage done by one faction of uh, human-based SSP programs uh, that would do damage on some planet. We would have to go. At, at this time, I was actually with the uh, United Nations, escorted by the Navy and uh, Air Force uh, different times. And then we would go and have to send our apologies and work out a deal to, you know, make things right. Um, so we, that was my basic skill set because I, there's a trust level that uh, most of these races had with me because they knew, you know, who I really was. So just to kind of clarify a little bit, because the, the Navy secret space program and the Air Force secret space program, as, as far as I've found through my research, you know, these are very distinct programs the navy is the older and the more advanced program and they're, they're more focused on deep space operations or even interstellar operations whereas right. uh, the air force is more focused on the kind of like the cis lunar environment just the earth the moon and that kind of area kind right. of like a planetary coast guard if you like yeah and often throughout our immediate solar system mm -hmm. okay all right so can you tell me or tell us more about this United Nations space program that was working with the Navy and in, in the Air Force? So are we talking about a, a separate space program altogether or are we just talking about a unit that was working inside of the Navy's space program? Uh, the best I recall is it was a separate program. Uh, it was 
representing Earth as a as a whole, all of humanity, whereas the, the Naval and Air Force uh, programs were more United States. But they were, the United States is in forefront, but, uh, but they didn't represent the entire planet. Okay, so this uh, United Nations space program that had its own ships, its own kind of uh, system of crews setting up crews and servicemen or service women and, and manning these, these ships. So what what do you recall about serving on one of these Navy space program craft? I mean what any anything distinctive for you and, and do you remember when it began? Well uh the best I can recall is there's uh I was very very segmented. You know, they would put me in small rooms. That's where I would stay most of the time. I was away from other people, mostly because of infringement of, uh, since I was doing this telepathic type of work, they, I would keep me separated. And I was mostly with the United Nations that was subcontracted, you know, that their travel was subcontracted between both the Air Force and the Navy. So what uh, they would they, at that time, at least they didn't really have their own transportation, the United Nations as much as they, they used what was already in place, which was the United States uh, ships, at least in my experience. And most of those ships were looked just like if you're on a battleship. I mean, they weren't they weren't comfortable. They weren't lovely. They were tiny, small rooms that were this really light mint color. Um, but it's interesting because there was one technology that I remember was I never saw lights anywhere. It was always something, somehow it was always this weird kind of super light green light coming from somewhere. Uh, but, you know, all of my interaction was, was highly controlled, you know, and compartmentalized. Uh, so I don't have a lot of memory. I just remember, you know, a few trips in some of these ships. I have memories of other ships that were not human, but not so much the human ships. Yes, well, I know there have been some that describe a, a kind of like a United Nations space program that began in uh, at the end of the Cold War and that the end of the Cold War was brought about because there had been this agreement between major nations to right. collaborate. So that would have put that around, say, 1990. Now, is does that kind of fit in with, with your, I mean, you began serving in 1970. Mm -hmm. uh, you served three terms or you, you, you signed up twice after that. So how does that kind of time frame fit in with what you recall? Uh, it fits in perfectly uh, as best I, you know, as I can recall, because after that, around the 1990 mark is, of course, it's my second term. And that's when I started going mostly to uh, the Saturn station, you know, which was not a human station. It was uh, another whole different thing. Yes. Yeah, so, so tell us, well, what was the Saturn station? Well, the Saturn station is, uh, uh, there are a number of coalitions uh, that are, that exist throughout our galaxy and actually throughout the universe. And these are coalitions of races that have already advanced beyond where we are as humans now. And once they advance to a certain level, it's kind of a uh, unwritten rule that you assist lower uh, races that are in that process of evolution. And to do so, 
you come together with the coalition and you make some, you know, basic unwritten rules of, you know, what to do and what not to do. And then you have stations throughout solar systems that these races that are evolving um, are where they're located. Uh, and there's there's most two or three at least uh, here in our own solar system, um, Neptune, uh, Jupiter, Saturn. And I was mostly in Saturn and Saturn was just a, a massive round uh, ship, it just looked metallic. It was, uh, uh, it looked much like if anybody, if people are aware of the Death Star on Star Wars, it looked similar to that, uh, but it was uh, massive, must miles across, you know, I guess the size of the, of that would be in the Star Wars shows. Uh, and then that's where all of these other races would, uh, they would all have their own bases within this large station. And uh, that station is is just out of phase um, uh, here. We can't see it with our human eyes, uh, but it's there. It's within the rings of Saturn. And, um, and it's a pretty amazing thing to, to see. That's interesting. Uh, so Saturn, Jupiter, and Neptune are the locations where there are major interstellar or kind of like uh, different extraterrestrial groups will meet and convene and there's meeting places and diplomatic negotiations go on. So so the, the Saturn base is where you spent quite a bit of time. It's yeah. Very okay. yeah, I'm aware of the other two and there are others, but uh, some of the others have a larger grouping of what we would consider a negative you know, race. They have their own agenda. Um, and there are some other locations throughout uh, our solar system with them as well. Um, but those are the three I'm familiar with. And the one I was was on primarily was Saturn. Now, you had some extraterrestrial friends. Uh, you mentioned one, and I, think, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. D-Tem was oh, a... Yeah, it's Jigadim. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tough work. Yeah, so tell yeah. us about him. Yeah, he is, uh, the best that I can recall, he was Andromedan, and um, he was a, a very, very good friend of mine throughout the SSP where we were very close. Um, he was a, a light blue color, and he had a very large head and really tiny eyes. And these eyes, if you looked into this race's eyes, it was as if you were looking at at a galaxy all of its own. You know, this, this, they, they actually weren't uh, static, they were dynamic and they would move based on their emotions. And I was just very close and he still visits from time to time actually, still comes to me. So just says hi, basically. <laughs> well, I know you mentioned uh, Arcturians as well, that you were close yeah. with Arcturians. So yeah, that raises yeah. the question. Uh, so what, well, well, why don't you tell us about the Arcturians as well? What kind of experiences did you have with the Arcturians? Uh, with them, uh, they're they're very very close to the Andromedans as Andromedans as well because they're from the same system essentially uh, historically. Uh, so they're also blue. Uh, they're much thinner and taller. Uh, well, not much taller than the Andromedans, but they're you know very thin. Have a different shape head you know it's more it's larger but it kind of comes up to goes around like i have a big brain sort of thing 
Um, they're also blue. Um, and there's another race I worked with quite a bit. And, and I can't say with definition that they are also Arcturian, but um, I worked with them a lot and they were also blue. Um, but they were the color of, you know, that cartoon from years ago, they were Smurfs, the little, little Smurf characters. They had that kind of a coloration, but they had uh, iridescent skin and they were all uh, clones of one another uh, or had been for many years. And they're all extremely similar and they just pure white hair. And I worked with them quite a bit because I was able to communicate with them very easily. And they specifically um, allowed some of my memories to come through. They actually, because they believed that that people should really know what's going on here on earth. So they assisted me in, in some of my memory retrieval and understanding what those things are that I'm recalling. So in terms of your past life or past lives, you, you were with, uh, was, it, was your soul incarnated with the Andromedans, the Arcturians, or this other third race, the, the kind of blue-skinned race? Uh, I've definitely incarnated uh, through the Andromedans, probably through the Arcturians as well. And there's another race uh, historically from Venus many, many, many millions of years ago, the, the Raw Collective. I've incarnated through them as well. I have memories even being on Earth with them. Uh, so, and, and I know there's more. I just, you know, I I don't have the memories with the, with the many of the others that, that I do with those particular races. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, very significant. you being specifically chosen by the Navy, by this UN program to help them conduct negotiations with extraterrestrials because uh, if, if that was your soul heritage, then you would have brought to the table, to the earth table, a lot of knowledge and a lot of information that could help them come up with diplomatic agreements. So, I mean, people... people think that the whole extraterrestrial issue is, is something that's covered up, which it is, but sometimes they, they have a lot of difficulty getting beyond the whole question of, of like, you know, prove that there's a cover-up and, you know, where's the evidence, where's the photographs, and, and so which mm -hmm. all relevant. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's always worth reminding ourselves is that, um, and this is how I got really drawn into it, was that dip diplomatic meetings are happening uh, between Earth representatives and extraterrestrials, um, even though the rest of the public is struggling over the proof and the evidence and photographs and all of that, that the, the governments keep us kind of like in the dark squabbling over whether or not there's evidence that ETs even exist, but yet they're holding diplomatic missions and reaching agreements. So do you remember anything about agreements that were reached? I do. Um... I, of course, can't share any details that I recall, but I can do broad sweeping things. For example, uh, some of the darker uh, factions of the Earth-based SSP programs wouldn't be as kind in negotiations. If, they, if, there was a, if there were crystals on some planet they wanted or there were resources on some planet they wanted and they weren't easily given, they'd take it anyway. And then of course we would have to come along, meet with that race, send our apologies, you know, 
try to explain that, you know, not that doesn't represent the whole planet, that just represents this black, this faction, you know, and, and come to an agreement and an understanding, you know, and that wasn't always easy. Uh, so we spent, a, unfortunately, a, a lot of time just repairing damage done. So this dark faction, I mean, are we talking about a, a corporate space program? Are we talking about the German program out of Antarctica, the so-called dark fleet, that they go out there, mm -hmm. they do all of this dark stuff, create a lot of friction and enmity, and 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 you, the Navy would come in or this UN program would come in with negotiators like you, and you're you're going to try and smooth things over. Is, is that pretty much the way it worked? Yes. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly how it worked, unfortunately. And and was this occurring just within our solar system or were you taken outside of our solar system to conduct these kinds of diplomatic smoothing over missions, if you like? Yeah. Uh, the, the vast majority that I recall are all within our solar system and mostly at Saturn, which is where I stayed most of the time. Um, but uh, I did leave the solar system uh, I don't have a lot of memory. I just remember having left and spending time elsewhere because I know we have, I mean, that I was aware of at that time, we had even then throughout that 60 years I was in the program, uh, they ended up with about 120 different planets that humans had a presence on, Earth humans had a presence on. Okay, so that confirms that a lot of our human activities were happening outside of our solar system. So do you remember anything in particular about the, the this dark faction? Were you given briefings about them? Like, like, were they like former Nazis that were now part of a dark fleet working with reptilians? That any Anything you were briefed about? I was never officially briefed about uh, anything along that line, but I knew about it because we all talked about things. Um, and that we knew who was doing it was a lot of these uh, other bases that Earth humans have, they actually believe the Earth has been destroyed, you know, and that they're the only humans left. But then there's they're on 120 different planets, and a lot of them think that they're the only ones left. And that's uh, because it's some of these dark fleets want to keep them controlled and, and fighting all the bad guys that are out there when really it's kind of them that's causing the problem. Um, and so it's just, you know, and I, I knew that it was uh, some of the, the German uh, factions that left Earth. That, uh, and, and then they were just, they picked up other humans, made other contracts. A lot of people that were that are that have gone missing throughout the years were actually picked up by these programs because they had some sort of skill set that they wanted. And they just kidnapped them and take them. Okay. Yeah, we've heard that, uh, that a lot of these humans were kidnapped or kind of under false pretenses taken to places like Mars where they became slave labor. But now you're, you're telling us that a lot of these people were actually taken to these uh, off-world colonies in other solar systems, 120 of them. And, yeah, that. well, I, I first heard this uh, from Alex Collier, who is also going to be speaking at the at this um, October conference in Orlando. Alex, I remember, talked about these off-world colonies 
back in the late 1990s that he was given information from the Andromedans about them. And, and I remember at the time, uh, it was amazing information, but you know, no one else was talking about that. These yeah. other human colonies in other solar systems and, and how uh, humans were really doing a lot of bad stuff out there. But Alex was talking about that back in the 90s. Yeah, I've heard of that, and I'm actually looking forward to to meeting the, the meeting him. But I, I specifically, I don't listen to a lot of other people's stories because I want to keep what I remember as pure, and I don't want to cross too much stuff, you know. So I, I, I'm not aware of most of these folks that are out there. Well, that that's actually good. Uh, I'm glad you do that because it's really people like me that should be doing that. That you know, we should be the ones keeping track and doing the cross-referencing and and because that all helps corroborate people's testimonies. Um, and that way you keep your testimony pure. So I, mean, I am glad that you do that. So during your service um, as a diplomat for this uh, United Nations space program, and you're spending a lot of time at Saturn, uh, you come across some very interesting types of uh, beings and one of the beings that you describe are crystalline beings can you describe what are these crystalline beings they're they're really fascinating uh it's they're they're not quite in your presence physically but they have a, a presence of light and that light has it, it looks visually as if it's made of crystals, because it you know as if you're when you move like a diamond, how it sparkles and its different facets. That's sort of the look that they have. They're kind of a pinkish color, um, and and they can they can form into because they're very very high. They've been around for literally billions of years. Uh, they're from very close to the center of our galaxy, and. Um, they, uh, they they can just keep a, a basic humanoid form so that we can relate to seeing them, but they don't need to do that. They're just, you know, they've evolved beyond anything physical, really, you know, and um, and they kind of create a face. So you have something to look at, you know, and so they're, they're, they're stunning and the feeling of their presence, you know, it's just indescribable. You know, we think we know what love feels like here on, on Earth you know, but we have no idea. We've been so shut down emotionally that when we're in the presence of some of these, these races, it's, oh, it's just indescribable, the depth of love and acceptance. Fascinating. Well, I know you have uh, described one meeting you had uh, near Saturn, one of the, at the space station there, with a group of extraterrestrials who had been harmed or injured in some way by the dark fleet, by the by the negative human space program, and one of them got so angry that he shot you. So you want to tell us what happened? Oh yeah, that was traumatic. <laughs> it was uh, right after I signed my first. So I was uh, first contract uh, after about twenty years. I, was, I think probably within the first year. Uh, so say within my. 21st year of actually being in the program, I was on Saturn. Um, one faction of the SSP had uh, killed, you know, as I recall, hundreds of thousands of these, um, these entities on their own planet. 
because there was a mineral, I think it might've been a mineral or a crystal that they wanted and they couldn't negotiate something. So they just took it. And because uh, they always know that, the, you know, the planet Earth, because they've left Earth, they're not really part of Earth anymore, are these dark, dark factions. Uh, they don't really care if they give Earth a bad name, you know, so um, that that was our job you know, to fix that. Um, but they went in and they, they killed a bunch of these these folks. And so there's they were very fairly stoic people. But. It was such an emotional time because of the terrible thing that had happened. And they understood that we weren't from that faction, but they also hold us as a race. This is kind of how it works. When you're advancing, you're not held by factions on earth or any other planet as a race, you're held responsible as the whole race. So that's why we had to do so much fixing. So, we were talking and, uh, and what happens in these meetings is I, I'm just basically a silent observer. I'm there, right there with one or two other people who are the decision makers, you know, and I kind of report to them, you know, tell them if, you know, something I'm getting from these races that they can't connect to say uh, like telepathically uh, these, I can tell emotionally how things are going. I can say things aren't working out. You need to change your tone or you need to, you know, this is what you need to do to get through and, and work this thing out. Uh, so I was just there supplementally for the most part. Uh, and it wasn't going well. And I was trying to tell my superior, I was like, you know, you really need to understand that these people don't have emotion, but when they do, it's extreme. And we're really lucky we're not all dead right now, you know, because they're really mad, you know, about what happened. And you need to calm down because my superior was a very forceful person and very uh, stone-faced, basically. And they were feeling like he wasn't understanding what happened and the gravity of what happened. And they weren't getting anywhere with him. So they became angry. And, and the one main, there was three of them, uh, the, the main one in the middle just kind of lifted up say we're across the table about six feet away and he just run his ran his hand across his chest and in doing so it it shot out this a beam of energy which hit me right around here my uh, right shoulder area and it it was a devastating blow just because it was like an energy weapon really that came from his chest i don't know how that works but that's what happened um and then of course everything went really bad and um Nobody else was hurt. I was the only one, fortunately, because um, they regretted instantly that they had done that. Uh, and then so fortunately, that was able later on, it was a, they were able to come to an agreement because of that incident. Um, but I was taken away immediately because I was not expected to live. So they took me away and they removed my consciousness because my body was, was dying. Uh, and I think I probably actually did die before they can get me and my consciousness taken out and put into a clone that they had because uh, they always kept clones as backup and reserve in case something goes wrong. Uh, and so uh, they moved me into a, a new body and uh, continued from there. Well, I know others have talked about that, that when they were serving in the secret space program, clones are created and they're held like you said, in reserve in case you get killed. 
and then the consciousness can transfer over to that clone. But of course, in your case, we're not talking about a cloned body. We're talking about your original body that had been age progressed. So now that's been lost. Yeah. And now you're in a cloned body. So was there any kind of loss of memories? I mean, because I think that what they valued most was your connection to your prior lives, and that was the justification for the age progression. But I guess after serving for 21 years, a lot of those memories would have been now part of your consciousness. And so right. all of that was easily transferred over to the clone. Is that kind of how the way it worked? Yes, that's exactly how it worked. Uh, the only side effect to be moved into a, um, a clone body was just almost flu-like symptoms for a day or two, just as your energy body kind of balances with your consciousness and it all kind of comes into sync. But other than that, everything was intact. Okay. So you said this incident happened about a year after you signed up for the first time. So in 1970, you're two, your age progressed, you begin, you serve for 20 years, you, you don't sign anything for that 20 years. No. Then in 1990, um, you, you, sign, you sign up for a, a renewed 20 years in the back, so you're not you're not age progressed then. No. Then a year. So so why why did you decide to sign on again? Why did you decide to do a second twenty and back? Because uh, I was loving what I did, absolutely loved the work I did. It was tragic and sad at times, but I felt like I was just helping the whole planet by being there. I see. So so you're now in 1991 when this incident happened. Your your body physically is 46. Yeah, exactly. 46 ish. So ish. You're, you're <laughs> 46 ish, right? You're yeah. killed, and your consciousness is transferred into a clone. But the clone is again of the 25 year old. Yeah, they kind of like create them that way, and they stay stabilized in that. I think it's because that's a, a physical body at that age is kind of prime. Yeah. And and how do they do it? I mean, when they create a clone body, how do they preserve it? I mean, is the is the clone just kind of like kept in reserve, just kept in a stasis chamber and just kind of like a 25-year-old clone of you is just kept there for like I guess that that was there for what 20 years or something? Or do they renew it? I, I assume that had to be, you know, uh, had to be there, you know, at that time for that period of time. Um but basically, they're, they're, they're just in tubes in another type of gel that just keeps everything, you know, uh, alive and active and bodies actually functioning. And, um, you know, you know, certain things aren't obviously, but uh, the, the cells within your body are living and, and they just, they're just kept at a, a rate that it just doesn't age. I'm not 100% sure how it works, but... So you remember this time, you know, this was the first time you actually remember signing something. So so what was it you signed and with who? I had a superior that I worked with the entire time, uh, this the, the one particular man. And um, I'd always negotiate through him. Uh, and, you know, just another, the, 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 new, the new contract, Really, there was nothing much to it other than I would continue providing my services as I had been. And, you know, it's going to be another 20 years. So there's really nothing significant to any change uh, to what I was already doing. Um, and so I just agreed to stay for 20 years, basically, is what it was. 
Okay, so you continue doing what you had already been doing. So you serve another 20 years. So now we're talking about uh, 20 years from 1990. We're talking 2010. And you sign up for a second time. So this is your third 20 and back. So was there anything different about that signing up? And and what happened then? And again, you would be, I guess, you would be in a 45-year-old body. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I kind of made a couple of uh, agreements because I knew I probably wouldn't go beyond that. You know, I thought 60 years is a long time, you know. And uh, so what my negotiation was in that was I wanted to, um, I wanted to have a 25-year-old body again. It was pure vanity. So uh, they agreed to that. Uh, and also I wanted, you know, a, a financial settlement when I came back to earth, you know, retirement. And I wanted to bring uh, some of the technology I had been working with um, back to earth because I knew it would help humanity as far as physically heal, emotionally heal, you know, and, and open their their minds and understanding to that there are greater things out there. So they agreed to all of that. You know, we got into a little bit of a slight argument like, well, you know, because I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy, but, you know, I can I can be a little snarky. So <laughs> at times, so I was like, you know, I'm going to remember all of this, you know, they go, no, you're not, you know, I know I'm, I'm going to remember it. So I was always telling them I'm going to remember. And and uh, and so at the end of that, when I signed my, my second contract, you know, um, he said, you are not, you know, they promised anything, you know, that I wanted because they, again, assumed I wasn't going to remember, you know, so we kind of got into that. And, um, and so for the most part, I, I did forget for most of my life. And then it did come back later, you know, through a series of meditations and uh, working with past life trauma and regression and, and kind of dealing with those things, get those things out of the way so the memories can come back. Um, so, yeah, so they gave me when they wiped my memory at the end, they, they kind of gave me a double dose because I kept saying, I'm going to remember. And they said, no, you're not going to remember, you know. Okay. So this third 20 and back that ran from 2010 to 2030. So that would mean mm-hmm. that right now, as we're talking, you, you are still in that timeline of completing yeah. this third 20 and back. And you're still with this United Nations secret space program. Um, but you're also leading a conventional lifeline where timeline where you went back and mm-hmm. you've lived it all over again and slowly regained your memories. Yeah, it's kind of mind bending, but yeah, yeah, there's a separate timeline where I'm still out there, still in the SSP. And any kind of interaction with that or any kind of memories about that final time? Because I know. People are talking about their secret space program service, and then some people have talked about that it's only after the the twenty years service has been completed that you start to get the memories back. So, so now you know because you've served three terms of service that you you know the standing the the theory might be, and I'm just proposing that and see what you say that because your first two terms of service were completed by 2010 that you would be getting all of those memories back but this one that you're currently serving now because it's still happening 
you're not going to get any memories of that. And I guess maybe that's a kind of fail safe in the way it works. I don't know. Just wanting to get your kind of response to that. Well, you know, I have to admit that's a thought I've not had, Uh, but it makes sense to why there are times uh, that I find it really difficult uh, where my memory is, you know, memory can be tricky anyway. You know, and I, I'm always really careful about my memories. You know, if for me to say something out loud, especially publicly, I have to be certain that this is correct. Um, and if there's any doubt, I, I don't really discuss it. Um, and so I, I always say, is this a memory from SSP experience? Is this a memory from a past life experience? Or am I just connecting to the Hall of Akashic Records and I'm pulling a file from someone else that I've been seeing? Um, because we do that at times. And so people get memory kind of mixed up there. Uh, but that makes that makes some sense to me that that would be why there are times that I'll have just a flash of a memory and then have to flesh that out by seeking and searching. Because uh, there are certain things that I know I should remember, you know, but it just won't come through. I see. So you said that, one of the conditions for your signing up for the, the third time is that when you come back, you'd get some financial compensation and also you would be given some technology to, to help humanity that you would release that. So ha- has that happened? I mean, has have you been kind of helped in some way in either of those regards in your conventional life? Uh, I have not, you know, because if you can't prove you had a contract, you know, I, I, I act honestly, I remember the contract number I had, my ID number. I remember that. Um, but I, I've chosen not to pursue that just because I don't need to. So, no, I haven't gotten a retirement. Um, but uh, I have uh, created and started selling and releasing a piece of technology that I did bring back that, that they used to remove extraction um uh, well, extract your consciousness or and or memories. And, and so there's a device that they use for that, which I use for something different. I don't build it the way they built it. Um, theirs is electronic and um, and is meant to remove memory and to, to affect the brain. Uh, mine is not. Mine's more, it's all magnetic. And uh, it actually helps the body heal and it brings exponential amount of energy that we already draw in you know, from the planet and from our surrounding area. And this just amplifies how much energy our body brings in and it allows our body to heal itself. You know, so that's that's what I've been working on. Well, this is, uh, I assume, the, the Deems device. And yes. you, you've, you've mentioned that you had an information dump that, that led to you developing that. So can you explain how you came up with this Deems device and, and what's it stand for? Uh, well, it, it, it spelled Deems, D-E-E-M-S, and I had, I had a, have a podcast, and I had at the time when, I, when this information came through, uh, it was called the Divine Evolution Podcast, and so I just call it the Divine Evolution Electromagnetic Micro Singularity Device, because that's what it does. It creates uh, piezoelectric energy and creates a, a microscopic singularity to source energy, and, um, and so the, uh, the device itself um, is I have to apologize. My brain went totally blank just then on what 
other part of question you had for that. You could remind me. Oh, I just wanted to know um, about the information download. Oh, how you, how you right. Got yeah, I uh, I was in meditation. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, I I kind of get into a very deep meditation at times, and I didn't remember anything about um, that the device specifically. And then just instantaneously, that I've just I don't know that it was new information. I think the information was there. It was just unlocked in my brain. It was suddenly unlocked. I knew everything about the device. I knew how to build it, what to use as far as materials, you know, and what it did, how it works, everything that could possibly be known about it was instantly in my mind. And uh, so I started to develop that, but it came through a, a deep meditation process. Well, the Deems device, I did check out your website where you discuss it a little bit and uh, you compared it to the Baghdad battery that, that has been found and people have speculated for years over the Baghdad battery. So how is the Baghdad battery similar to the Deems device? Well, they're quite similar. Uh, the Baghdad battery is uh, a copper tube, you know, basically. Uh, and then there's an iron rod that goes within that copper tube. And that whole thing is placed inside of a clay jar. And that clay jar is filled with uh, some sort of electrolyte type of material, whether it's vinegar or wine or even a water that has electrolytes. And then those electrolytes cause the, an interaction between the copper and the iron. And then that creates an, an energy. And that energy was used in the Baghdad battery for a couple of things. It could use, be used for a very dim light in very dark areas. Uh, but also they would place that on their body. Say if they had shoulder pain, they would lie down and they'd place that, let it sit there. And as it was creating this energy, it was uh, fulfilling or giving your body energy, extra energy to heal. You know, and that's kind of how rapid growth and rapid healing work is allowing the body kind of to do it itself, just giving it the energy to do it. So yeah, they're, they're, they're built very similar. And the Deems device is the same thing. It's a copper tube iron rod in the middle. Um, and then it's a series of batteries, or sorry, a series of magnets. Uh, and those magnets provide, um, well, here I can show you. So basically it's this, and there are 13 batteries, or I keep saying batteries, sorry about that, 13 magnets uh, that come down and go around. There's an iron rod separating them. No, it comes around, so it creates uh, a magnetic field. And then it comes around this ring magnet. And this ring magnet is uh, polarized in a way that it pushes as the energy comes around, it pushes it this direction. And then in the, as it spins this way and is pushed out, it creates a vortex here, like a little tiny, you can imagine like a little tiny tornado. And so at the tip of that tornado or vortex, which is about here, uh, there's a zero point. Um, of energy that's basically source energy or energy, thought energy, manifestation energy. And uh, that's that's the kind of energy that um, our body uses, our nervous system uses as well. And another part of this is if we, the magnet wants to naturally sit like this, but I turn it and put it this way, force it to stay that way. And when you force a magnet to go against its magnetic field, two magnets to go against their field, 
you create a piezoelectric energy. And the piezoelectric energy is the energy that's within our pineal gland. And because our pineal gland creates piezoelectric energy by crushing calcite crystals. And then that's the consciousness. That's where our consciousness is, is, um, is attached, is through the pineal gland. And piezoelectric energy runs through our nervous system as well, but you know, it's created in our brain. And so that's how in the SSP, they would take a device similar to this, uh, though this could never harm anybody. It's not built that way. Um, it could never take your memories. It can't detach your consciousness. It just isn't powerful enough or it's not even built to do that. Um, but theirs was. So they would take theirs and they just put it against your temple and they would put you out. And then they would, uh, you know, because they had it connected to a computer and it would basically just draw your, your consciousness out and put you in stasis. So this one can't do that. Now, I know uh, you have different crystals that can be attached to that uh, circular magnet at the, at the top of the Deems device. And so those yeah. crystals kind of like amplify or concentrate the energies that are coming through to particular frequencies or wavelengths that align with the chakra. So I'm, I'm wondering, it seems like it could do, it could actually stimulate consciousness in a way. And, you know, I'm wondering in, in, in the ancient Sumerian cuneiform texts, there are pictures of Enki holding what looks like a pine cone pointing to the human skull. And I wonder if that's something like a Deems device that's harnessed for the pineal gland to stimulate it. So can you do that with your device? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't need a crystal at all to use it. You don't, you know, it, it, you put it up against your, you know, your third eye, you can, you can most likely feel it. You know, most people can. And what it, it's interacting with that, with your pineal gland in that, you know, your uh, third eye chakra or your energy center that, um, because our body has a number of energy centers. That's why we have acupressure, acupuncture. That's why we have meridian system in our body. That's, that's how we have centers of energy. And that's what chakras are. There's some of these, they're the larger centers of energy. And so each crystal uh, and stone has a certain color. And, and that vibration of the color of this and the, and the crystal and structure of the stone is the same vibration of certain parts of your body. And so like uh, a blue stone, or actually say green, because I have a green one sitting right here. Um, this one doesn't have magnets. This is just a, a, a broken one that's just sitting here. But if I were to mm -hmm. attach it like that, which I can't because I don't, it, this one doesn't have any magnets, but um, the energy would come through and become concentrated at the tip of that stone. And then now this energy is not just universal earth energy coming through, it's filtered through a stone that has the same vibration of your heart chakra. So you can target areas of your body by using certain stones. So you don't need to have them, but you know, if you do like Reiki work or you know, acupressure, acupuncture, you know, these can be handy. So the, the Deems device seems to be a kind of an evolution of the early Nikola Tesla uh, electrotherapy technologies that he came up with in the, at the beginning of the, ninth, uh, of the 20th century. 
at the end of the 19th century that you know this technology has been withheld from mm. us for over 100 years because of the secret government uh, because of the dark cabal that wants to keep us dumbed down but tesla's technology was suppressed so it sounds like it's coming out now through people like you and many others that are now talking about electrotherapy and whether they're getting downloads or whether they're being helped it looks like this is a time for for these kinds of electrotherapy technologies to to really start helping us move forward in healing and getting our planet on the right path yeah i believe so absolutely do you know because i know that uh, crystals are used with every race because they understand what crystals actually are and they know that they have the uh, power and ability to work energy, you know, and everything is built of energy. We're photonic, you know, photons are energy, you know, and, um, and their vibration and we're built, you know, out of light. So we connect highly to it. So where do people go if they want to get more information about the Deems device and, and start communicating with you? Um, just go to deemscompany.com. So that's D-E-E-M-S-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com, deemscompany.com. And you're going to be a speaker, as am I, at the October 21st, the 23rd Spiritual Informers Conference. So what are you going to be talking about? Uh, pretty much what we talked about today for the most part, and I'll get more into um, into the deems. And I, I actually have a tent. Well, you know, I, my company's there, and I'm bringing some people in with me, and we're going to, you know, allow people to use the deems for free and, and do some healings on some people. And we have a, a Curlian photographer, which people also know as an aura photographer. And they'll take your photograph prior to, you know, even picking up the deems. All you got to do is pick it up in your shopper's line. You know, um, it just, that's what it does. You know, it just gives your body energy to do it. Um, and then we'll photograph you afterwards and we'll and you'll see a comparison of how your energy body reacts, you know, to uh, these magnetic devices. So we'll be there for that. And then I'll, I'll also be, you know, speaking on my experience um, and there's, you know, other information that um, it's best brought forward in person versus, you know, via um, online. And so that'll come out as well. And, um, and we'll just see how things go as far as <laughs> that is concerned. But it should be an amazing experience. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you at the conference and, of course, uh, seeing so, uh, many others uh, that are talking about similar experiences and similar technologies and uh, that's october 21st and 23rd in orlando florida so i hope uh, the audience uh, can come and check out all the speakers and look at the deems device i'm certainly very very interested in that so i want to thank you chris for coming on exopolitics today and sharing your amazing experiences and, and knowledge about the secret space programs Oh, it's my honor. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me here today. <laughs>